Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 13 of the Warning Track Power Podcast with your baseball guys, Jake and Chris. A weekly show where we cover all things MLB, cover the White Sox and Cardinals, our two favorite teams, and just give you our analysis and our uh, fun facts about the week in baseball. And, uh, and lately, we've been going full bore into our power rankings for the last about six weeks of the season. So we'll have an updated power rankings from both uh, Chris and I, and uh, it's been a wild week. Um, a lot of good, uh, a lot of bad in terms of uh, injuries, a lot of bad in terms of play on the field in one particular team's case. And uh, let's just jump right into it, Chris. What What's uh, kind of been your um your impression of of the league over the past seven days and uh and uh what are kind of your thoughts about the whole the whole uh the landscape of, of the league yeah we got a lot happening right now like you said um we've got some teams that are incredibly hot and some teams yeah. that are incredibly not um <laughs> now the teams that are incredibly not for the most part, you know, are teams that, that weren't going to be relevant, but that's not necessarily right. completely the case. Like we're going to talk about a team that was an expected playoff contender and still may very well make the playoffs, but the skid continues for the San Diego Padres. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to get into that as they slip. I'm sure we'll talk about it within our power rankings. And right now out of a wild card spot, they're not in a playoff spot right now. So yeah. that's obviously a huge storyline. We also have, you know, a number of teams surging like the Braves all of a sudden nine and one in their past 10 games. Yeah. Uh, they're incredible. They've got like a huge winning streak on the road right now. Mm -hmm. um, and all of a sudden they've opened up a four plus game lead in an NL East that has been very jumbled, still could be jumbled, but it also could be a Braves team that pulls away. So, you know, in some ways my, there hasn't been a ton that's changed, you know, Tampa yeah. Bay still on top of the East, the White Sox still on top of the central. I mean, you know, yeah. not everything is changing, but there are a few things you can kind of narrow in on a couple of teams where their play right now is really making an impact down the stretch. Absolutely. And uh, we'll jump right into it. A big story uh, that we mentioned last week, I believe. Um, but Miguel Cabrera has finally surpassed the 500 home run mark. He did it Sunday against the Blue Jays. He became the 28th player in MLB history to hit 500 home runs and one of only two active players with more than 500 home runs, joining Albert Pujols, who has more than 600. Um, and I believe he's fifth all time now with 660 plus or so. But Miguel Cabrera um, passing that mark on Sunday, um, only the sixth foreign born player to hit 500 home runs and the only Venezuelan player uh, to hit 500 home runs as well. Um, and just one fun fact, he hit, um, his 100th and 200th home runs, uh, three years apart to the day, uh, on August 23rd, 2006 and 2009. And he hit his 500th on August 22nd of this year. Uh, so he missed having at 100, 200 and 500 all on, uh, the same day, just years apart, uh, by one day. So a fun fact there, but Chris, one of the best uh, pure hitters of our generation. Um, I know, you know, I, I grew up watching him. I remember the end of his Marlins career. And then I remember when he signed that big deal with, uh, Detroit, but what, what's kind of, uh, if you had to kind of capture Miguel Cabrera and the way he plays baseball in, you know, a, a few thoughts, what, what would those thoughts be? 
Yeah, it's it's hard to put into words. I think you, you said it well. I mean, one of the best hitters, pure hitters of this generation. You know, yeah. it's been a while since he's been, you know, I know people in sport in the sports world, but just, you know, people in general have a short attention span. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's been a few years, right? So yeah. it's easy to kind of forget just how good he was mm-hmm. uh, because he had been, he was all the way at 446 home runs in 2016. Yeah. Um, and it took him the next five plus years to get to this point because he had 16 and then he had three and then he had 10. All of a sudden things really, you know, dropped off as it often does for, um, you know, players in their late thirties. Mm-hmm. And so it can be easy to forget just how incredible he was in his prime years, looking at his baseball reference page. Oh, yeah. I mean, the years where he was, you know, he wasn't the guy who had the season where he hit 50 home runs, mm-hmm. but he was the guy who would hit 40 plus 45 home runs, lead the league with a 340, 350 average, yeah. 450 on base, over a thousand OPS, mm-hmm. um, you know, two time back to back to back MVP in 2012 and 2013 yeah. at his age 29 and 30 seasons. I mean, just a incredible player, just the um, just one of a handful of players who've ever hit 500 home runs and mm-hmm. had a 300 plus batting average for their career. Yeah. Uh, you know, Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Hank Aaron, Jimmy Fox, Frank Thomas, Mel Ott, Manny Ramirez. Uh, it's an incredible list. Yeah. Um, and to have Miguel Cabrera on it, very fitting, one of the best hitters of this generation. And, um, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be fun when he gets the real attention he's, he's due after he retires and, you know, the hall, when you get to the hall of fame conversation, not that there's a real conversation to be had and not a debate, but you get an appreciation, right. you know, when yeah. that, when those conversations come up. And I think it's going to be a few years because obviously you have to be retired for, I believe five years to get mm-hmm. on the ballot, but um, a great time to appreciate everything he's done. And I think we'll be doing it again. And maybe, I don't know, six years or so. Yeah, absolutely. And uh not too far away from another milestone, just 45 hits away from 3000 hits as well. So um, another milestone to count down to for Miggy. Um, And I think you make a good point, Chris, you know, he, he's an 11 time all-star. He won those back-to-back MVPs. And one of those uh, seasons, he won the triple crown uh, with 44 homers, 139 RBIs and a 330 batting average. But I would argue he almost played, he almost had a better 2013 when he won his second, MVP. He had a higher batting average by almost 20 points. He had a uh, on-base percentage north of 440 and an OPS north of a thousand. And I mean, that was Chris Davis's, you know, 50 plus home run season, which, you know, you're not going to win the triple crown (laughs) when you can have a guy hitting, you know, uh, 50 plus homers, but he hit 44 homers again. Uh, and drove in 137. So very consistent uh, over those, you know, his first handful of years in uh, Detroit, obviously, like you, like we've said, it, it slows down, you know, as he hit age 34, 35, 36, and now at age 38, you know, he's uh, just kind of trucking through the last few years of his contract. He signed through 2023. Um, I didn't, I didn't quite realize it was that long, honestly. Yeah. I thought it was just, a, I thought this was like the second to last year, but apparently yeah. not. Yeah, so he's he's got all the accolades to show for it. Two-time MVP, won the Triple Crown. He won the batting title four times. Um, a lot of people forget he was on that. He was a rookie on that Marlins team, the one that won the 2003 World Series. Right. So he's got a ring to show for it as well. And just 
an incredible player and a guy that um, a surefire Hall of Famer. He's still a career 311 hitter, um, even after all these seasons in Detroit, batting below pretty well below 300 most of the time uh, over the past five or so years. But just an incredible hitter, uh, an incredible player, and one of the uh, one of the best players that uh, uh, I've had the pleasure of uh, watching as I've grown up. Yeah, well said. I mean, the fact that he's still hitting 311 for his career mm-hmm. is wild. I mean, I was looking his first through 2016, which is sort of his last final great season. He was hitting 321. So that gives yeah. you some room, some padding <laughs> to, yeah. to stay above, you know, because like Albert Pujols, he had been, he had, I think, just fallen recently below. Now I got to check. He had fallen below 300 for his uh, career batting. It's 297 now. Yeah. Because yeah. he had been, had all those great years at like through 2011. Yeah. His time with the Cardinals, it was 328. And then all of a sudden it took, it took the better part of the last, you know, more than a decade mm-hmm. to fall all the way below 300. But uh, yeah, two of the, I mean, him, I think of him and Cabrera together all the time. Yeah. I know they were not, not exactly that, you know, their best years didn't line up quite, ex- you know, mm-hmm. Cabrera's best years were sort of right after Pujols, like Pujols' right. best years. And then as he went to the angels and wasn't quite as good, that was when Cabrera took off. Yes. So it, I, I associate those together in my head. Yeah, two of the best first basemen of uh, of the you know early to mid two thousands and early twenty tens in Cabrera's case. So um, yeah, definitely keep an eye on him and his chase for three thousand hits. Uh, he'll probably get there this season, but if he he doesn't, he's got next season and he'll hit that mark uh, almost yeah. certainly uh, early on in twenty twenty two. But we'll go from uh, one of the best players in baseball history, at least in this decade. Uh, or century, I guess, uh, to one of the worst teams uh, in baseball history since 2005. Um, the Baltimore Orioles, Chris, have lost uh, 18 consecutive games, and they are down 13 to two to the Angels. Uh, well into that game, I think that game is in. Uh, let's see here, uh, the bottom of the fifth inning, and now it's 13 to five actually. So don't call it a comeback. But uh, yeah, they have lost. They're on their way to losing their 19th game in a row, which would tie uh, the 2005 Kansas City Royals for the longest uh, MLB, the longest streak uh, of losing in the MLB since that uh, date. Um, They haven't won since August 2nd at the Yankees, and they've been outscored 146 to 46 over these 18 games, a minus 100 run differential. And I don't even know how you manage that. It's, it's impressive in how sad it is, honestly. Right. I mean, they're the first team in the modern era since 1900 to be outscored by 100-plus runs over any 18-game span. Yeah. I mean, and this is a team <laughs> that, as bad as it is, it's not devoid of any talent. I mean, Trey Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, Cedric Mullins, those are three legitimately good players. Yeah. I'm not saying they're all Hall of Famers, but, you know, Mullins in particular, you know, and then Mancini's had a bounce back year. I mean, it's, they have dudes. It's not as sad as you would think by the stretch. (laughs) You look at their roster, like they have some dudes, like, why are they not this bad? I mean, you know, like you mentioned, uh, they'd be tying the 05 Royals and uh, they're only a few, uh, losses away from the longest losing streak ever of 23 consecutive games back in 1961 by the Mm -hmm. Phillies. Um, And it's just amazing how bad this Orioles team has been every time, every year you think, 
they're not going to get worse than this, right? Like they're going to be a little bit better next year. Yeah. Um, you know, the 2018 Orioles won 47 games. They were one of the worst in MLB history. The 2019 yeah. Royals were a little bit better. They won 54 games, mm-hmm. uh, still lost 108. And right now the 2021 Orioles are on a 50 win pace. Yeah. Uh, it's just, and there's sad. really no, it's sad. I don't, it's, there's really no signs of it changing either. No. I mean, because they're in this sort of state, like the pipe, uh, like the, uh, pirates, mm-hmm. which is a team I you know pay attention to a lot where they're just, anytime somebody shows real promise, they trade them away. Yep. So at some point, if you keep doing this, you're never gonna, you're never going to get anywhere. I don't know what mm-hmm. the long-term plan is. I'd love to get back to the days of the Orioles being relevant. Um, cause those <laughs> yeah. teams were fun. Those were some right. fun teams back when they were really mashing. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, something yeah. like that. Um, so we'd mm-hmm. love to see that happen again, but, uh, now it's just a matter of how are they going to get reach history or not? Yeah, it's definitely something uh, to keep an eye on because uh, I did not look up what the longest losing streak in, in MLB history is, um, but they're gonna they're gonna get close uh, almost certainly to that. They are headed, like we said, for their 19th straight loss unless they can uh, find nine runs and uh, pass the Angels who lead them 13 to five. But we'll see what happens with that. I think it might find, I think it might take them like two weeks to find nine runs. I don't know. That's, <laughs> it seems like that's asking a lot. Yeah, it, it does. Cause they've only, they scored 46 over 18 games and I don't know exactly. That's what, like two and a half runs a game yeah. or so. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a recipe for success and a uh, major, uh, major uh, reason for why they have lost 18 in a row. Uh, definitely. But uh, a couple of minor things, a couple of uh, extensions, some injuries to talk about here. Um, guys headed to the IL. The first uh, note that we have is that the Braves have extended Travis Darno for two years. Uh, and that is $18, $16 million. Um, so they lock up Darno for another couple of seasons. He's having a, a kind of a down season, um, and he's been hurt this year a lot. He's only played in 29 games, just over 100 at-bats, um, batting 236. But last year, he had a, a great season, 321, uh, with nine homers and 34 RBIs in uh, 44 games played in that shortened season. Um, and I think this is one of the guys, you know, that can be kind of a cornerstone for them, uh, consistent presence behind the plate and at the plate for them. Uh, pretty Good hitting uh, catcher with uh, solid defense. So, Chris, what do you make of uh, this uh, extension for Darno? Yeah, the Braves clearly banking on the late career breakout that Darno has had, mm-hmm. or not late career, but later than, you know, 30-year-old basically breaking out is what yeah. he had. Um, they're counting on that being somewhat legitimate because, mm-hmm. of course, he was a, a top prospect, a first-round draft pick back in 07. Right. Um, there was a good bit of hype around him. He was with the Mets for all those years, and it never really panned out. There were flashes, but, you know, it was never really – it was, you know, it never was sustainable. Yeah. And then, like you mentioned last year, uh, in the shortened season, nine home runs, but a 919 OPS was yeah. really impressive for a catcher in particular, 321 yes. batting average. And then, like you mentioned, he's been injured, so it's hard to know how well he's capable of repeating that. Yeah. But they're clearly taking a gamble. It's not too risky for $16 million for a catcher. Yeah. Like, even at his worst, if he's just a 240 hitter who can hit seventh in your lineup and be a good defensive catcher, then that 
it, you know, that that's still not a bad, that's still not a horrible deal, but exactly. uh, so I think it makes sense. I think, you know, it's, it's good for them because you get close to repeating that. Then in that point, it becomes a steal. Exactly. Yeah. Um, lock him up for a couple of years. And if, yeah, if he uh, overperforms, I guess, then uh, they got a good deal out of it. Yep. But um, one, uh, a couple of injuries now to talk about um, the first of which uh, to one of the members of the three-headed monster on the mound for the Milwaukee Brewers, Chris. Who is it? It's Freddie Peralta. He exited, uh, he landed on the injured list on last Thursday due to right shoulder inflammation. He had started against the Cardinals and uh, didn't fare particularly well in that game, was removed early, mm-hmm. something like the third inning. Um, and he is on the injured list uh, due to that shoulder inflammation. But fortunately, I'm seeing an update here just from today, Mm-hmm. that they don't believe it's super serious. He's expected to begin throwing off a mound again later this week. Um, so he could be back in the Brewers rotation by the end of next week is what I'm seeing reported, yeah. which would clearly be good news for them. Uh, the Brewers are not in a position where they need to worry about their playoff spot. No. Really? I mean, they're seven and a half up on the reds in the central. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Peralta is a guy who's had dealt with injuries in the past. Uh, doesn't have a lot of, uh, experience throwing a ton of innings in a season so Mm -hmm. it might be a nice little break for him in the end assuming it really is minor um and you know as long as he you know can get back soon um they'll be okay just as he doesn't have setbacks because he's been incredible a 2.45 era uh in uh 164 strikeouts in about 120 innings this year he's been sensational so just as long as they have that that uh, that third member of their trio atop the rotation back come playoff time they'll be in good shape yeah absolutely i think uh you know if you're if you're a team in the nl and you are going to uh miller park in october and you know you have to face corbin burns brandon woodruff and freddie peralta in three games you're not going to have a good time you're going to have to figure out a way to limit that brewer's offense which isn't great like we've talked about but you're going to have to figure out a way to score at least uh, a couple of runs off those uh, three pitchers. And that's been a challenge for everybody uh, that has faced the Brewers this season. So hopefully he comes back soon. Um, another injury actually for the Brewers, Eduardo Escobar uh, is heading to the injured list. He has, uh, let's see here, uh, strained hamstring. So he's going to the 10 day IL. Um, and, you know, Eduardo Escobar has been, a good addition for uh, Milwaukee this season, kind of putting another bat in the middle of that lineup um, since coming over, batting 280 with uh, just two homers. So the power hasn't really been there. But he's getting on base uh, at a much higher rate than he was with Arizona. He's got bats around him, which I think helps a lot. And uh, even his OPS has jumped uh, about 10 points, um, even though his slugging percentage has dropped because those power numbers uh, aren't what they were um, with Arizona, but uh, yeah, been a good addition and I'm sure they'll uh, want him back as soon as possible. Yeah. Well said. I don't have much to add. Uh, You know, he's been a quality bad and underrated guy because he, you know, he isn't um, you know, we've talked about him in the past when we were talking about him as a white Sox trade target, potentially Um, you know, the career, the breakout for him has been late career as well. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a guy whose real breakout year was 2019. Uh, that was the first time he 
he'd had more than like 25 home runs. Yeah. Um, and now he's, he's on track. He's only one away from 25. So yeah. he's really <laughs> kind of blossomed into this 25, 30 homer, 250, 260 hitting infielder with versatility. So Brewers, you know, probably going to take it easy with him again for the kind of the same reason as I outlined that it showed that he's back, you know, right away. If you're going to risk a setback, just get him right and make him get him back as a, a bat uh, come October for you, you know, preferably sooner, but, but don't rush him. 100%. It's going to be uh, a couple of guys shouldn't be uh, out too long for the Brewers, but uh, definitely guys that they'll miss while they are out. Um, one more, uh, an, another injury uh, related thing. Um, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but Chris Bassett, um, he was hit in the face by a Brian Goodwin line drive on uh in i believe it was wednesday's maybe wednesday's game nope tuesday's game uh last week game two of that series between the a's and the white Sox, um and he actually had successful surgery today on his facial injuries uh there was a plate put in uh to help repair one of those uh fractures in his uh in his face um but everything that I've seen uh, says that he's doing good and recovering and he'll be back in Oakland, uh, hopefully tomorrow or Thursday. Um, but, you know, watching it occur, I, I turned the game on uh, after I got home from work and it was, that was the first play that I saw. Um, so definitely a, uh, a terrible thing to see. I never like to see a pitcher get hit in the head or the face uh, with a line drive, but glad to hear that Chris Bassett is doing well. Yeah, well said. I echo that completely. You know, it's always a really scary thing when something like that happens. And we've, of course, seen, you know, we've seen incidents like this where you think it's really bad and then the pitcher's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you see incidents like this where we think it's really bad and it's really bad. Um, fortunately, you know, there, you know, obviously this was a horrible, you know, thing to happen to him. And obviously the injuries were serious, but, um, you know, fortunately, um, things like his vision, Mm-hmm. not affected he wasn't he didn't have his his eye was not um because that was a, a fear as well you know his vision's good he uh, didn't have any uh, damage to his eye or the bones around it or anything yeah. and a normal ct scan so um fortunately it sounds like the long-term prognosis is good uh for bassett whether or not what that means exactly for when he'll be back on the mound it's, it's too soon to say of course but yeah. fortunately um the long-term prognosis does look good which is good to hear yeah, absolutely. So good news for Chris Bassett and the kind of vibe all around baseball after that happened was, uh, you know, you just hope uh, he's okay. And uh, every, every, you know, player that I saw and every uh, member of the media that I saw said he's just a great person and a great teammate and everything like that. So um, glad to hear he is uh, on the mend now and maybe he can even make a recovery yet for the A's and uh, pitch in October. Um, yeah. But Chris, we have uh, more potentially negative news about the best pitcher in baseball. What are, what are you hearing about uh, Jacob deGrom? Yeah, so this is a sort of a developing situation. Of course, he's been shut down since late July, mm-hmm. um, and he's been dealing with uh, an elbow situation. Um, uh, you know, I believe it was officially, yeah, right elbow inflammation. Mm-hmm. And so there's a number of developments that seem like at first he wouldn't be out for more than a couple of weeks. Yeah. And then it's kind of been pushed and pushed. It was reported 
uh, last week that by Sports Illustrated that the Mets were leaning towards shutting DeGrom down for the season. Yeah. Which, of course, is significant, when, especially when you consider um, that the Mets are still in the fight for a playoff spot. Now, it's it's not looking good. <laughs> I, I think we can I think we can say that there's six and a half back in their division, seven back of the wild cards. So mm-hmm. a week or two from now, they could not be fighting for a playoff spot realistically at all. Right. Um, but they're still in the midst of as of now, I don't think anybody's written them off completely. Um, but. You know, recently I see he's scheduled uh, today. It was reported he's scheduled for a follow-up MRI on his elbow tomorrow. So today when you're hearing this uh, on Mm -hmm. Wednesday. So it's interesting because it's being reported that if the imaging looks great, he could start a throwing program again. If it doesn't look great, he could be shut down for the season. So there's a wide range. I think we're going to know a lot more soon um, just based on that. Um, it's just, it's sad to see because it's a pattern for him. Mm -hmm. He's so talented and I'm not criticizing him. It's just, you, you hope that one of these seasons and he is in his thirties. Now you hope that one of these seasons, we get to see him put it all together for the whole season. Mm -hmm. I fear we won't. I'm hopeful that we will. Mm -hmm. Um, and all of a sudden the Mets season, which, you know, we can maybe talk about this a little later, but they're just, they're in free fall. Um, it's, it's sad to see, and it's sad to see we won't see necessarily, we aren't uh, guaranteed to see DeGrom back on the mound this year. Mm-hmm. But again, um, I think a week from now, well, really in reality, a day or two from now, we'll know a lot more. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm with you 100% there. I think, you know, we saw what he can be in 2018 and 2019 when he won those back-to-back Cy Young Awards. Um, even his rookie year, he won Rookie of the Year back in 2014. Mm -hmm. Um, but it has been, you know, relatively recently where he's started to deal with a bunch of injuries and just things that you don't like to see for pitchers, you know, especially elbow issues. And when you get into your thirties, you know, those are get harder and harder to bounce back from. So DeGrom in his age 33 season, um, just a a bad situation and you hope it doesn't have any, you know, kind of ramifications for, um, the rest of his career, because, uh, that would be a shame to see him, uh, kind of lose that, uh, that edge and that ability to, you know, throw one Oh two, one Oh three. Uh, and then, you know, that slider at, in the mid nineties, cause that's just absolutely nasty to watch. Yeah. And I, I should probably, I, I realized after I said it, I probably didn't phrase what I said the most. Cause I said, we haven't seen him really put it together for a full <laughs> season, which we have to yeah. be very clear. We've seen him win back to back Cy Young's in 18 and 19. So yeah. I'm not, I, I had haven't forgotten that. Uh, just, just this version of DeGrom that we saw this year was right. other, otherworldly. It was yes. on a whole nother level that yeah. nobody, I mean, that, <laughs> that we're, we're like, right. We're talking about Bob Gibson's best season in 1968. Like right. that's what we were talking about with him. Mm. It being better than that. Um, and so it just would have been so fun to see him if he could continue to pitch at that level. We've seen him yeah. be the best pitcher in baseball. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to see if he could sustain this otherworldly, uh, <laughs> are you a human being or an alien from another planet pace? Right. Um, and yeah, you hope, even if we don't get to see that anymore, you hope yeah. that he can even, even if he's just, even if he's just a mere 2.3 ERA guy, right. or 1.03 <laughs> ERA guy, yeah. um, that he can just be healthy in the future, even if it's not. Um, alien, amazing Jacob deGrom, even if it's just really good Jacob deGrom. Yeah, 100%. Well said. Um, another uh, just minor note here. Um, 
for the Tampa Bay Rays, Nelson Cruz headed to the, uh, well, he has joined and been activated from the COVID-19 IL um, since we uh, started making these notes. And he uh, actually made his uh, first start at first base in his career uh, and his first start playing the field since 2018 uh, in the Rays game against the Phillies today. Um, and I saw this on Twitter earlier today and I meant to add it to our notes and I Googled his name and here it is again. He is 41 years old and uh, the, the Rays started him at first base because they can't use the DH because they're playing uh, in Philadelphia. So they're in a National League park. They can't use the DH. Um, G-Man Choi, their regular first baseman, was just placed on the 10-day IL uh, with a hamstring issue. And, um, yeah, it, they didn't recall another position player from uh, AAA. And they went into the game with uh, four true infielders on their active roster. So they threw uh, Nelson Cruz out at first base. And it, it sounds like it went uh, relatively well. He was uh, one of uh, the oldest players to ever start at first, uh, make his first career start at a particular fielding position. So uh, kind of a, a news item that morphed into something different that we weren't uh, quite expecting. Yeah, yeah, that was inter interesting progression from, oh, he's on the COVID IL <laughs> to uh, now he's back and he's right away at first base at 41. Yeah. Um, apparently, you know, for years, even though he hasn't played first base, apparently when he was with the Twins, it's something he's messed around with and not messed around with. He's, he's toyed with in batting practice and, yeah. and warm-ups. Like, he likes playing in the field. Like, he doesn't, he hasn't, you know, it's not like he's never been in the field mm -hmm. um, at all. He's, you yeah. know, played first base in practice, but uh, yeah, just weird. It seems like a perfect raise kind of thing to do where he's like, yeah, you know, he's probably told the twins I'll play first base. And they're like, Oh no, no, we don't need you to do that. And he yeah. says to the rays, I'll play first base. They say, oh, okay, sure. What the heck? Cause we're the rays. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's an interesting, another little tie in. We talk about, we talked about uh, Cabrera reaching 500 home runs. Uh, -huh. uh Nelson Cruz is at 443. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, an article I saw about, you know, who else is going to reach the 500 home run club. Mm-hmm. I don't, the odds say it's not going to happen yeah. because he's 41 years old. <laughs> uh, but he has defied, I mean, he's, he's being David Ortiz like in right. his ability to just not lose a step at all at the plate into his forties. Mm -hmm. So it might honestly come down. It's going to come down to health number one, but it might mm -hmm. honestly come down to whether or not he wants to keep playing. Um, he's already yeah. become one of the best 40 plus year old in MLB, like he's having one of the best seasons for somebody his age ever. So yeah, yeah, you never know, never know. He's a good, he's more than 50 away, but the pace he's at, that would only take him like a season and a half if he keeps that up somehow. <laughs> right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Since joining the Rays, actually his average is down almost a hundred points and his OPS is down almost 200 or over 200 points. Um, he's still putting up the, the power numbers, but, uh, you wonder how much that uh, yeah. moving into Tropicana field. I mean, we saw it in the reverse with Willie Adamas earlier this season. Right. You know, he couldn't, he wasn't that great of a hitter. And then he goes to Milwaukee and he's hitting close to 300 and he's just been producing at a crazy, uh, a crazy rate. So I'm wondering if it's, you know, uh, the opposite effect happening for uh, Nelson Cruz here, or if it's more of just, uh, you know, still getting used to his, uh, his new team and just kind of settling in uh, and just waiting for that, uh, 
waiting for him to hit his stride. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I hopefully, I hope he's got a few more years in him because that would just be fun to, to see if he can keep this up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, a couple more things that we want to highlight um, the angels and the tigers game uh, last Thursday was uh, was one for the ages. As far as the angels are concerned, um, they came back from eight runs down um, after they were uh, eight, they were eight runs down in the top of the sixth inning, 10 to two. Uh, they overcame that and ended up winning that game 13 to 10. Um, and it was a, uh, the, their largest deficit uh, overcome in a game uh, since August 29th, 1986, also against Detroit. Uh, and they won that game 13 to 12. So just a, uh, a crazy uh, story uh, there. I was uh, watching that game as it happened and it was, it was wild to see the Tigers just stopped being able to get guys out and they just kept tacking on and, and chipping away at that lead. And, and before you know it, they were, uh, they were ahead and they came away with that win. Yeah, the, the win probability chart for this game is quite fascinating. Wild. <laughs> From like the third, top of the third through the like top of the sixth, it was like the Tigers within like 85 to 98% chance of winning. I mean, it was multiple innings where it was yeah. like 99% Tigers. And then all yeah. of a sudden, whoop, it changes in an instant. Uh, yeah. yeah, man, just imagine if this Angels team, <laughs> I could function like a good organ, like could, could be a good team, like had a healthy Mike Trout could do something to make the playoffs. I, that would be impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there, there's two games under 500 right now and it's just, you know, same old story for the angels. It seems like every year that, you know, people expect them to put a season together and, and uh, make a push for the playoffs. But it seems like every year they just can't put it together. They don't have the pitching. They don't have this, that, and the other. And uh, so just another, uh, you know, kind of average season for the Angels, but a, a historic comeback in a game last week hadn't happened in 35 years for him. And uh, one more news item. We've had our, uh, our second injection and suspension for foreign substances, Chris. That's right. Uh, it's the Diamondbacks, Caleb Smith. Um, honestly, I'm surprised that it was only the second. We really, yeah. I, I, you know, I didn't think it was going to become a common occurrence, mm-hmm. but I did think we'd see more like a half a dozen yeah. incidents by this point rather than just two. Yeah. Um, because we had what was a Hector Santiago was the first, and then mm-hmm. there was a long period of just no problems. Apparently, yeah. it was the same umpire crew that ejected Caleb Smith as did ejected. Hector Santiago. Um, Interesting. And uh, he was clearly very upset about what was happening in that situation. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, he's being held back by coaches and yelling, and uh, he's now been suspended uh, 10 games and has a fine for for what happened there. Um, The league announced that he is appealing his suspension, so um, the appeals process is going on, so he's not serving in the suspension yet. Yeah. He's not been good this year. He's a 30-year-old for the Diamondbacks with an ERA above five, and uh, he's walked uh, batter in more than half the innings he's pitched. Yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, he's a guy who sort of like Santiago, and no offense to either of these guys, but who was sort of on the fringes fighting for a career to continue their career in the majors. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that – 
it fits the type where you might be willing to to try something like that but he clearly very very much uh, objecting to what happened there i don't know if it's just that was his reaction or if he yeah. really is because he really doesn't believe he did anything wrong right we'll just have to wait for the appeals process to play out but uh yeah it's it's a weird one i mean obviously there's real playoff ramifications to this caleb smith is not a crucial part of a crucial team because he's right. not a crucial part and that's not a crucial team and the diamondbacks is yeah. one of the worst in baseball so yeah but uh, we'll see how the appeals process plays out because we haven't had many examples to compare it to yet yeah exactly and uh had, uh santiago did the the same thing he appealed obviously and that was upheld after that process so um that's the only precedent that we really have for that but like you said we'll have to wait and see how that shakes out. So that is it for the news uh, segment of today's show. Lots of news, lots of milestones, uh, a lot of injuries as well uh, to talk about. Um, but now we will uh, recap the White Sox. And uh, Chris, I think the, the Cardinals have rubbed off on the White Sox because they went uh, exactly 500 um, since the last time we talked. Oh, I'm so sorry. I did. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that on any, on any good team. I wouldn't wish that, but Hey, yeah. Yeah. You've got a lot to talk about because it's a bit of a mixed bag, some positives, some negatives in there, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So they went four and four, um, since we talked last, um, really the first just average week, uh, that the White Sox have had since we started the show. Cause it's pretty much either been really good, something like you know, five and one, four and two are pretty bad, you know, two and four, one and five, anything like that. Um, but just a, you know, an average week, literally 500. So they had four against the A's to start the week in game one, Dallas Keuchel pitched pretty well, five innings, five hits, two strikeouts, two walks, two earned runs. Um, the White Sox offense managed one run in each of the innings from three to six. So they scored four runs. In those innings, uh, Luis Robert had three hits, including a home run. Um, Michael Kopech, Craig Kimbrell, and Liam Hendricks combined for four innings out of the bullpen, struck out three batters apiece. Uh, Kimbrell and Hendricks each struck out the side in their inning of work, and the White Sox got that win 5-2. to two. In game two, we already talked about it, the horrible injury uh, to Chris Bassett, taking a line drive off the face, uh, to the face off the bat of Brian Goodwin. Um, the Sox would score five runs in that second inning directly after the injury on a, uh, Andrew Vaughn, two run, single and a Jake lamb, three run Homer, um, Jose Abreu would add a three run Homer in the fourth inning to make the score eight, nothing. And the Sox would go on to win nine, nothing. Ronaldo Lopez started that game for the white Sox. He was awesome. Again, five innings, just one hit, no earned runs and walk two struck out four, um, and then in, in game three was an interesting one. Lance Lynn was the starter for the White Sox in that game. He didn't have his best stuff. Um, he got through four innings uh, before the umpire threw him out of the game for tossing his belt um, as part of the foreign substance check. He was walking toward the dugout. Apparently, he uh, the umpire was supposed to meet uh, Lynn kind of near the foul line uh, in front of the dugout, and he wasn't there when Lance Lynn was... Uh, uh, when he got there. So he left his glove and his hat on the uh, railing of the dugout. And uh, he was trying to go into the training room, apparently to get something worked on. Um, sounded like a, just a maintenance thing. And uh, the umpire asked for his belt. He tossed it and it was, you know, an underhand soft toss. It wasn't, you know, like he chucked it at him right. with any kind of force or anything, but uh, the umpire didn't like it and he threw him out and uh, Lance Lynn wasn't happy about it, but um 
you know, obviously not uh, not an issue as far as foreign substances being used uh, go, but uh, you know, just a uh, a weird situation and something where uh, I think Lance Lynn—that's one of the most Lance Lynn ways to get ejected uh, from a game. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's very fitting for his his on the field personality. I mean, he seems like I'm not. He seems like a, a great guy, but mm-hmm. his on the field demeanor and just sort of—he's a bit of a grouch when he's actually yes. on the mound. Like that's just just sort of bulldog mentality is is that way and he uh it does fit it does fit his nature i mean it's part of what makes him so great is that mentality though but that was that was interesting to see yeah thousand percent and uh so he gave up three hits and earned run and four strikeouts uh before getting tossed Luis robert had another three hit game in that and uh garrett crochet ryan tapera aaron bummer and liam hendricks all came out of the bullpen in relief to get the white Sox through that game after lynn left early uh, and the White Sox will go on to win that one three to two. So two back to back or three wins uh, to start that series against Oakland. Um, and then in game four, it was a very back and forth game. Dylan Cease was okay. Um, he pitched six innings. He gave up three runs and struck out five, but he walked four. It was very inconsistent. Um, Michael Kopak actually gave up the game winning homer to Matt Olson in the seventh inning. Um, the Sox got a run back in the ninth and they would end up losing that game. Five to four. So it took, you took to, uh, three out of four from Oakland uh, to start the week. And then they went to Tampa Bay for three games. Uh, and in game one, uh, it was a very, uh, really these last four or five games have been a, a great example of as the, as Tim Anderson goes, the White Sox go. Um, he let off an inning four times. He reached base all four times and he scored a run all four times. So if that doesn't tell you, you know, kind of what you need to know about the Tim Anderson and this White Sox offense, uh, when he's in the lineup, good things happen. Um, uh, the White Sox uh, would, yeah, score a run in each of those innings that uh, Anderson reached base and let off. Um, Lucas Giulio was very good. He pitched seven innings, two earned runs, uh, no walks and eight strikeouts. They took a four to two lead to the eighth inning. Um, Craig Kimbrell came in the game at that point. He was pulled after just 15 pitches. Um, which, you know, that was a whole thing between him and Tony La Russa. Um, you know, I, I, I don't put, put too much into that. I think, you know, La Russa has been, you know, hailed as one of the masters of the, of the modern bullpen and one of the forefathers of kind of creating what we now know is the, how to use a modern bullpen. But I think he might've overmanaged this one a little bit. Um, he did, Kimbrell did throw seven straight balls out of the zone to begin his outing. Um, but he was pulled in favor of Aaron Bummer for uh, a matchup against Austin Meadows um, in the eighth inning. And on the first pitch, he, I think it was the first pitch he saw from Bummer. He lined it up the middle um, to give the Rays a 5-4 lead. Um, but in the top half of the ninth, Tim Anderson again uh, rises to the occasion and homers to dead center on a 3-2 pitch to lead off the inning and tie the game at five. Um, Garrett Crochet and Liam Hendricks were awesome in the ninth and 10th innings respectively um tim anderson lead off would lead off the 11th inning with the game winning single and there he goes again uh driving in another run and he would come around to score uh, on that one as well on a high chopper um on a ground out by abreu and then ryan tapera um came in and shut the door on the race the Sox would win seven to five in 11 innings it was the first White Sox game to go past 10 innings since 2019. Credit that to the uh, the extra inning rule with the runner on second. 
Mm-hmm. Um, game two and game three weren't great. Uh, the Sox would go on to lose both of those. Game two was very weird. Um, well, uh, I guess the, the epitome of this game was the Wander Franco double um, that bounced right off the top of third base uh, over Yohan Moncada's head. Uh, it should have been a routine ground out. It would have ended the inning, uh, but instead it bounces off the bag and hops into left field down the line, uh, scoring a run. That would set the tone for the game. The Rays would get three in the inning, and they shouldn't have had any. Um, I think Dallas Keuchel pitched much better than his six earned runs over five innings would show um, because those three would not have scored if that ball you know, kind of just goes to Moncada in a normal fashion. Um, the White yeah. Sox would lose that game eight to four. Um, and then game three, a lot of guys resting. Um, you know, you, you, the Sox are playing in the middle of a seven game stretch uh, of games on turf, um, which takes a toll uh, on guys when they're not used to playing uh, that many games or really playing on turf at all. Um, it was a nine nothing loss. Ronaldo Lopez was decent, three earned runs over four innings pitch, didn't walk a batter though. Uh, seems like every inning we would get a guy on with two outs, you know, the first two guys would go down and then there would be a base hit and you're like, Oh, maybe this is something. And nope. And then there's a walk with two outs and nothing and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, Garrett Crochet, Jose Ruiz and Ryan Burr, um, weren't great out of the bullpen. They gave up the last six runs of that game, uh, in the nine, nothing loss. And then last night, the first game in Toronto, it was a pitcher's duel. Lancelin was awesome. Seven innings, uh, an earned run given up, no walks and four strikeouts. Um, the one issue, another Tony La Russa um, public uh, blow up, I guess you could say. Um, it was a 3-0 count with a, a base open uh, to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And uh, the Sox were up one nothing at this point, and uh, Lynn decided to pitch to him, or Zavala, the catcher, decided uh, to have Lynn pitch to him. But it uh, it did not end up did not end up working in the White Sox favor. Uh, he would single and drive in the run that tied the game. Um, and there was a video of Tony Larusa basically publicly uh, berating Sebi Zavala. Uh, for that or for something, uh, but it wasn't uh, a good sight to see. Um, Craig Kimbrough came in the game. He wild pitched in the winning run for Toronto. Um, unfortunately, uh, Andrew Vaughn had the only uh, RBI of the game for the White Sox. It would be a 2-1 loss. Um, and then yet tonight, we scored four in the first inning. We're leading 5-1 to one in the top of the ninth inning over Toronto. Uh, great start from Dylan Cease. Uh, Jose Abreu now has 95 RBIs on the year, um, wow. leading all of baseball. Uh, he had a three-run homer in the first inning. Um, but overall, the division lead is nine games coming into the games tonight. Um, Tim Anderson has missed the last four games, um, and his absence has been felt. The White Sox are 61 and 43, 18 games over 500 with Tim Anderson in the lineup. They are 11 and 11 without him. Um, he's, you know, dealing with some sore legs just from playing on turf. Um, he said, he's hoping to be back in the lineup tomorrow, uh, for game three against the blue Jays. Um, but the white Sox have, uh, after tonight, they have two more games, uh, at the Rogers center in Toronto, and then they come home to host the Cubs for the second half of their crosstown classic. So a lot, uh, a lot of news there for the white Sox. Uh, a four and four week, um, but maintaining that division lead. And it's good to see uh, 
them on the brink of victory here without uh, without Tim Anderson in the lineup. Yeah, it certainly is. You know, I you mentioned with the Braves leading baseball in RBI, it hasn't even been a great season for him. I mean, no. he's been he's been banged up, which right. I mean, he's been playing through a lot. Yeah. But his OPS is uh, 170 points lower than it was last year, which yeah. of course that was an MVP season. Mm-hmm. Um, but here he is leading baseball in RBI again. Like he's just so. I mean, two years ago he had 123 RBI tops in the AL. Yeah. Last year he led baseball. This year he's leading baseball. I mean, he's an RBI. <laughs> machine um and i guess i had a few overall sort of questions to ask your opinion on the white Sox and where they stand but i think i'm going to save them for our power rankings because uh you know that's kind of where we put teams you know relative to each other and sure concerns and stuff so i'm actually going to save we do have them ranked similarly yeah somehow i'm actually a little higher one spot but uh (laughs) so we'll talk about that i guess coming up uh but Yeah. yeah anderson so crucial for that team it seems like another situation where Obviously, you want him back sooner than later, mm-hmm. but you also want to do what you need to to get him help, you know, to keep him healthy so that it's not a long term problem. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you, you just need him. You need him come October. Right. But the division yeah. isn't in jeopardy. Get him right so that it's not a lingering thing. Yep, that's exactly right. That's the that's the vibe that I'm getting. Um, because, you know, if we drop a couple of games, a couple extra games in the regular season, uh, you'd rather have him healthy for, uh, for October, definitely, because he put on a show, uh, last October against the A's. So having his yeah. bat in the lineup yeah, is huge. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I guess, I guess we'll go ahead and shift now to the Cardinals and there's mm-hmm. actually somehow a lot of news all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> so I guess at first, a couple of quick things, um, before we even talk about the action on the field, uh, Dylan mm-hmm. Carlson was activated. He'd been on the injured list for a little over a week due to a uh, minor uh, wrist injury. I believe it was, mm-hmm. uh, yes, a sore wrist. So he's back. Um, Tyler mm-hmm. O'Neill was scratched actually tonight. He's dealing with a sore back. So it's like, you can't have everybody <laughs> healthy at once. Yeah. Trade one for the other. Yeah. I can't ever have, they, they seem to be struggling now to get all three outfielders healthy at once. Um, mm-hmm. and then another couple two two tidbits of news. The first off, uh, it was announced today that Yadier Molina has signed a one-year contract extension to remain in St. Louis for what it appears will be his last season in the majors for $10 million. Um, if you remember last off season, um, it, the off season was dragging on and he just mm-hmm. was a free agent and it wasn't clear what was going to happen. Yep. And then they came to terms for one year, 9 million, yep. and then clearly didn't want the same situation again. So, yeah. uh, they were able to come on, come to terms on something. Now he gets a slight raise over that break from this year. Um, you know, he's still a very productive, regular, uh, catcher, even at, in his, as he approaches age 40, mm-hmm. um, he got off to an incredible year. He hit, uh, had a nine ninety seven OPS in April, just otherworldly. Yeah. Uh, which just doesn't happen for 39 year olds, unless you're like Nelson Cruz. Um, <laughs> And then since then, though, in the second half, uh, his first to second half splits are pretty extreme. His second half slugging percentage, slugging percentage is 284. It's lower than his on-base percentage. Oh. It's not great. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's not great. Um, his OPS dropped from 715, which is not great, but respectable for a catcher, to mm-hmm. 591 and a half. So he's taken a step back. It seems like it's catching up to him as time, father time does catch up to everyone. Right. When you play that much and you're approaching 40, even if you're Yadi or Molina, um, <laughs> his defense has taken a little bit of a step back. Uh, 
you know, it had, it had room to take a step back and him still to be a good catcher. Yeah. Um, but you know, this is going to happen and everybody, you know, it's not a surprise. Nobody's, nobody's criticizing him for <laughs> losing a minor, a little step at age 39, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's good to see that he'll be back and this won't be a topic like here most likely isn't going to work out. They're probably not going to make the playoffs. So let's yeah run it, run it back. Let's get that figured out. You know, mm-hmm. one more time, one more shot with Yachty, hopefully Adam Wainwright as well. Uh, give them a chance to go out in a better fashion than potentially missing the playoffs. Uh, so so that's the situation there. And then actually some more bad news tonight as the Cardinals are playing the Tigers, Jack Flaherty was on the mound for, I think his like third start back from a uh, serious oblique injury he had. Yeah. And in that outing, he was, it was pretty clear from the beginning or near the beginning that something was wrong. His velocity took a sharp dip early in his start. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was giving up home runs. He was walking guys left and right. Um, and now he's been pulled and being evaluated for right shoulder tightness. Mm-hmm. So not oblique related apparently, but, uh, that's, that's just never a good thing. I mean, sometimes it's, right. sometimes it's minor uh-huh. so much of the time it turns into an IL thing or a really serious thing. Yeah. So fingers crossed for this season for Flaherty, but also just big picture. Like at, at some point it's not really, this season isn't a huge concern. Now they're still in the race. I understand they want to win, but mm-hmm. the long-term health of their young ACE is also incredibly important. So yeah. um, we'll see what happens with Flaherty, but anyway, on the field <laughs> with that all out of the way, <laughs> yeah. uh, that momentum that we talked about last week of the Cardinals winning eight of nine games, it's pretty much gone now. Um, a largely easy stretch of games, uh, which is still going on in terms of opponents, but it did give way to a tough opponent in the Brewers to begin last week. Mm-hmm. Cardinals dropped two of three. Game one, Corbin Burns, a no-hitter into the sixth inning. <laughs> Bolton Wong's uh, three hits against his former team. Adam Wainwright was solid, but uh, the Cardinals couldn't get any hits against Corbin Burns and others. Yeah. Uh, Game two, I turned off in disgust. Uh, <laughs> that's never good. That's never good. Yeah, we've all been there, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Alex Reyes blew the save. He ended up giving up four runs. There were errors thrown in there. He was throwing the ball away. He came out for a second inning after blowing the save. It was just, it was really bizarre. Yeah. Uh, and a second straight start for Flaherty that since he returned from the IL, uh, that was good. It was blown. They lost six to four. Mm-hmm. Uh, game three, the Cardinals were able to get to Brandon Woodruff for six earned runs, which does not happen much. No. He's one of their big three. Um, mm-hmm. They had a big fourth inning, uh, had home runs from Tyler O'Neill and uh, uh, Lars Newtbar. Uh, oh, yes. Very, very fun name. Of course, the legend of Lars <laughs> Newtbar. Uh, John Lester wasn't very good, which what else is new at this point? Uh, right. But the bullpen was, which, hey, look at that. Um <laughs> And the Cardinals won game three. And then it was uh, then home to face a Pittsburgh team that the Cardinals swept just a couple series ago. And they dropped two of three, uh, which was not great. Uh, <laughs> game one, they couldn't get any offense against Mitch Keller and a bunch of nobody relievers. Uh, they actually out hit Pittsburgh 10 to four in the game, but there was just no situational hitting. Uh, Miles Michaelis made his return. He's missed a ton of time. He was supposed to be their number three starter. So yeah. when you're missing him and Flaherty, that's, that's been a big blow, a big reason mm-hmm. for their struggles. Yeah. He was solid at his return, but there was no offense yeah. and they lost uh, for nothing game two. Jay Hap was solid. He's actually been good, uh, yeah. believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then you have another bullpen implosion. Uh, Genesis Cabrera imploded out of the pen and 
Cardinals lost. Uh, game three, I was actually at that game. Okay. And uh, they were able to salvage one, even though it was dramatic. Um, <laughs> Adam Wainwright, man, what what is there more to say about this guy at this point? Yeah. Uh, he's about to turn 40. Eight innings, two hits, nine strikeouts, no walks. Um, just incredible. He is, uh, in term, this was his fourth start of the year of eight plus scoreless innings mm-hmm. in terms of somebody who's he who is his age 39 or older yeah. uh he's the first person to have four such starts since randy johnson in 04 <sighs> the last pitcher who was 39 plus to have that meant to have more starts of that quality was tom Seaver in 1984 so if he has one more eight plus scoreless inning start he'll be tying tom Seaver. that's good <laughs> good company is, uh, good company yes uh <laughs> this is it's incredible uh mm-hmm. so anyway he went eight scoreless and then i watched as uh alex reyes almost blew it in the ninth gave up hard hit ball after hard hit ball mm-hmm. uh they pirates got two on and then uh, i don't i think it was colin moran skied one to the warning track and right and then newt bar had to leap at the wall it was almost gone i would have lost my mind if they lost that game oh because, yeah yeah but anyway um the so legend of Lars Newt Bar continues. <laughs> yes, the legend of Lars Newt Bar, which the Cardinals need to capitalize on that for some sort of promotion next oh, year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, it was a real opportunity for the Cardinals to keep their foot on the pedal, but instead they did what they do sometimes, which is uh, hovering <laughs> around 500. Uh, yeah. They are still, uh, they were about four and a half back in the wild card. Let's see, the updated number is they're four and a half back in the wild card as cool. of right yep. now. <laughs> Uh, so here they are hovering at that spot again. Oh yeah. Technically still in it. I mean, you know, they could make a run still, Yeah, but not. we're also just not seeing it sustained enough to make an impact. And even with the Padres falling off, the Reds are still winning games. So they're not yeah. going to get a ton of help probably. Um, so uh, they're playing uh, Detroit and Pittsburgh this week right now, as we're talking, uh, of yeah. course, Flaherty exited that game and, they are losing to the Tigers, which is something you can't be doing now. Nope. Uh, it's four nothing Detroit in the seventh or at the end of the seventh. Yeah. So, you know, we are still in that territory where a really good week, well, hey, maybe, but a really bad week against some bad teams and all of a sudden mm-hmm. uh, pack it up. So uh, these games really matter right now and we can't be messing around with, with yeah. bad teams like Detroit because afterwards it's at Pittsburgh for four. Mm-hmm. You, you, I mean, if you're not that six games against Detroit and Pittsburgh, if you're not winning at least four of them, then just, yeah. what pack are you doing? <laughs> yeah, pack it up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so we shall see, but uh, the drama continues. Yeah. At least we still have excitement, I suppose. Yeah. There's still uh, something to hold on to. I'm, I'm seeing right here, the, the Reds are leading the Brewers right now, three to one. So not good news for the Cardinals there. Um, and our friends in, uh, in Baltimore, have actually made it a five-run game. It's now thirteen <laughs> to eight in the bottom of the seventh inning. So oh, maybe they're going to make some me magic there. Yeah, oh man, I'm going to look real bad if they come back and win this game with what I said early on. Yeah, well, let's see, Orioles. They'll figure out a way. Yeah, they'll figure out a way to lose. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. So uh, after our recaps of our our teams, we'll do our this ba- this day in baseball history for August 24th. The day we are recording this. And it was my week this week. We go back to 2013. And uh, this is about a, a long game. This is a 
Diamondbacks victory over the Philadelphia Phillies in Philadelphia, where the two teams combined for 137 at-bats, 35 hits, 32 strikeouts, and 28 walks in an 18-inning game that ended 12-7 with the Diamondbacks on top that took seven hours and six minutes to complete. The longest game in history uh, in terms of time for both franchises. Now, I went back and looked at some of the names on these two teams, and neither one of these teams were very good. Um, But this is 2013. The leadoff batter for the Arizona Diamondbacks in this game. He went one for five with five walks. Impressive enough. His name was Tony Campana. Oh, boy. I don't know if you remember Tony Campana. Yeah. But he didn't do a whole lot in his career. Nope. Uh, Adam Eaton was actually batting second for that team. Old friend of the White Sox. Yes. Paul Goldschmidt was on that team. Mm. Um, Aaron Hill. Oh, yeah. Uh, D.B. Gregorius was on that team before his breakout. Uh, and then on the Philly side, you had Jimmy Rollins and Chase Utley, the, the yeah. legendary middle infield. Um, but you also had guys like Roger Bernadina and Carlos <laughs> Ruiz and Cody Ashey and Darren Ruff, who is having the best season of his career for San Francisco right now. <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> so just, just a, a very uh, bizarre uh, game, some throwback names. And, uh, you know, just, just a fun, long 18-inning game, which uh, we don't really get anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, seven yeah. hours and six minutes. And fun fact, that game, that game also started at uh, 7.06 p.m. local time. So oh, a little uh, fun with numbers there. And sorry, my, my dog is losing uh, her mind out, <laughs> outside the door. I don't know if you can hear that, but sorry for um, that disruption. Yeah, not a big deal. Yeah, it's, uh, it does remind me, though, of uh... – have you ever been to like a super long extra innings game? No, I, no. I haven't. Maybe 12 innings is the longest okay. I've been to. I've, I usually have it. I haven't, I, I've been to one. Yeah. It stood out to me. It was the Cardinals and the Mets back in 2010. Uh, it was, uh, I believe it was, yes. The New York Times story was long story short, Mets beat Cardinals in the 20th. Uh, that was, it was, it was a scoreless game until the 13th inning. Two. Oh my goodness! Scoreless through thirteen, and then both teams scored one run, and then the um, Mets won it in the twentieth inning. I'm uh, pulling up the Baseball Reference page. Yes, it was. It was a crazy one. Oh my uh, goodness! It was the first game that I ever. I guess I was just you know like twelve years old or something like that. It was yeah. the first game that I ever. Like so many times when you're a little kid, you leave the game early. You know, yeah. oh, we're leaving the seventh. Inning. It was the first yeah. game that I saw all the way through in person. <laughs> And we decided like in the sixth inning, like, oh, we're going to sit through this whole game. Yeah. And then it turned into be 20 innings long. Oh, uh, goodness. That was, that was a crazy one. Uh, yeah. Especially because it wasn't even like it was a 20 inning game that we, that ended like 10 to eight it was right. like zero, zero <laughs> innings. Oh, guess yeah. who was the first baseman for the Mets in that game? The starting first baseman for the Mets. Oh, Fernando Tatis. No way. It's Fernando Tatis. Senior, it You're says not I, joking. I look at that April 7th, 2010. Fernando Tatis Sr. not having a good year. Wow, I did not know he played that late. I didn't either. I didn't realize it must have been near the end of the line for him, but yeah, wow, I didn't realize season. he played that recently. Yeah, I had no <laughs> idea. He played from 97 to 03 and then missed two years for whatever reason back in 06 for 28 games. 
missed 07 and then played three years with the Mets in 08, 09, and 10. That is wild. Yeah, that, that is, I had no idea until I saw that now that that, that name was going to pop up. Look at that. That is, that is awesome. Yeah. The things you learn and, and realize when you look at baseball reference pages for games <laughs> that happened in April, 10 plus years ago. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So long games, uh, thing of the past. Hopefully they'll come back uh, in some form uh, yeah. next year. But uh, now our final segment, our power rankings. And Chris, I had a lot of movement in my in my rankings this year. A lot of teams uh, played really well, and there were some teams that played very poorly against some teams that they probably should have beaten. Um, but uh, looking at yours, I, I see you don't have as much movement, uh, and I actually adjusted back because I think I was um, – you know, giving a little too, putting a little too much, uh, on the recent happenings, mm-hmm. uh, of things, but, uh, let's, uh, let's just start at the top. Obviously, uh, we actually have the same top four, uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Giants, Dodgers, Rays, Brewers in that order. I bumped the Rays up two spots from five after their six and one, uh, week. Um, the only game they lost was that first game against the White Sox. They swept the Baltimore Orioles as part of the, part of the Orioles, uh, 18 game losing streak. Um, but I think they, they are just, you know, one of the most complete teams in baseball, but you know, you look at their lineup and you're like, Oh yeah, I kind of know that guy. And there's Joey Wendell, I guess he's good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, not Willie Adonis. He doesn't play there anymore, but guys like Yandy Diaz mm-hmm. and you know, Austin Meadows is one of their best hitters, but it's like, on most other teams, Austin Meadows would not be the star, but on the Rays, you know, he, he's kind of the guy that makes, makes the team go, but it's really everybody up and down the lineup. It's a different guy every day. And uh, as the White Sox learned, the, the Rays will bullpen you to death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's their thing. That's their thing. I, uh, you know, yeah. I, you know, I think, you know, we, like you said, we both had the same top three teams. It's mm-hmm. I'm, I've run out of things to say about the giants. Yeah. First same. off, <laughs> I don't, I do really just legitimately don't know what to say other than that. Like they just have so many dudes who just continue to produce and they're putting them in the best possible situation to succeed because yeah. they have, you know, 13 guys who've been productive hitters for them. They can mm-hmm. just like mix and match and throw in yep. Longoria here and Posey. And I mean, just all the dudes they're on pace as of entering yesterday, entering the week, they were on pace yeah. to win 104 games, the third highest total wow. in franchise history. And the third, the best win total in over 115 years for yeah. the giants, the giants, that's a team with some history, right? Yep. That's incredible. Um, the Dodgers uh, there's, you know, they've gone, I don't know if they played yesterday, but again, entering this week, I had the numbers. They had gone 15 and four in August. Yeah. Somehow they'd only gained like a half a game on the Giants because yep. <laughs> Giants, uh, but winning. but they're yeah. still doing what they're doing. I mean, there's no re- there's no reason to be worried about them at all. So yeah. then there's just the Rays, um, like you mentioned. Their strategy continues to work. Wander Franco is heating up. Uh, yeah. He's hitting like 315 over his last 27 games or so. Uh, he's got at least he had a hitting streak going. Uh-huh. Um, so he was he was not doing great to start, but now he's really starting to heat up. Yeah. in recent weeks uh which huge for them and like you said they just 
you know, those teams, those scrappy teams, Rays, I think of Rays, I think of Giants, not exactly in the same way. Yeah. Just these scrappy teams without necessarily all the star power. Mm-hmm. They're not the Dodgers. They're not the Yankees. They're not the Astros who are also teams in our top, you know, six or seven or whatever. But yeah, uh, it's showing that, that multiple models work uh, to get this done. Exactly. And, uh, and then we both had Brewers at four. Um, yeah. You can't, it, they're also uh, continuing to get it done. Christian Yelich is being a guy who's disappointed. We've talked about it before, but he seems to be heating up just a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. They have four straight series wins. I believe they, they took two or three from the Cardinals and then they beat the nationals. Yeah. Uh, they're in complete control in the NL central, assuming that that injury to uh, uh, Peralta. Oh God, Peralta. Thank you. Assuming <laughs> yep, that injury to Peralta isn't a big a big deal. They'll get, they'll yeah. keep their three headed monster in the rotation and yeah. another team that you just, I don't know how exactly how much I believe it. Like I, I feel mm-hmm. like I still can't, I'm not entirely bought in, but like the giants, I just can't ignore it because it's continued so long. I can't, I can only question it so much. Yeah. You're uh, I'm right there with you. I mean, they just keep, keep winning games. They keep, uh, you know, their team, the teams that they're playing relatively in check. I mean, more often than not, you see something less than four in the, in the other team's run column when they play the Brewers. And then you got Devin Williams and Josh Hader in the bullpen. And it's uh, one of the, the hardest, uh, one of the toughest pitching staffs to face Mm -hmm. uh, in all of baseball. So I, uh, let's see, I actually bumped them down, but that was more of a product of, uh, the Rays great week going six and one. Um, so obviously still a top five team in baseball are the Brewers. Um, and then I think one of our only differences this week, uh, comes at five and six. Uh, I have the Yankees at five, uh, and you have them at six where I have the white Sox. So you have the white Sox at five. Um, we'll talk about the Yankees, obviously on a 10 game winning streak. Um, they haven't lost since, um, Tim Anderson walked them off in the, in the field of dreams game. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are up five to three on the Braves in the top of the ninth, uh, in that one. So they're about to barring any kind of bullpen disaster. They're about to win their 11th in a row. Um, I think that, you know, they, have done a lot with, you know, uh, all their injuries. And it seems like we say that every year, you know, they, they come through with, you know, some random he's on the Yankees now guy. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's just, they found something and they're getting healthy now, which is, you know, scary to see because we can see, we've seen what they can do with, uh, you know, judge and, and uh and stanton clicking and you know luke voigt is hitting again um back in the lineup playing kind of coexisting with anthony rizzo in that lineup uh they're getting solid pitching outings um and it's just kind of all coming together for them and it's really a matter of can they catch tampa bay which coming into today uh they are four and a half back uh of the rays but uh, it's going to be an interesting race to keep track of because we all thought it was kind of kind of going to be uh, Boston and Tampa Bay for that top spot. And uh, here the Yankees are in second place and uh, trying to make uh, life tough on the Rays. Yeah, uh, they were my biggest my biggest riser in the power rankings this week. You know, mm-hmm. you had them at seven, so you were higher on them 
entering the week and then you, you bumped him up a couple spots. I had him all yeah. the way down at 10. Right. Um, so I wasn't quite as bought in. I, you know, I knew this was possible. Right. I just, I, there were just enough reasons for me to doubt, you know, with all the injuries and things that they could, they could, you know, really go on a run like this, yeah. but they were clearly capable of it. And I never doubted that they could do something like this. Uh, and it corresponding to, to guys getting healthy and also to them getting contributions from, um, you know, Jamison Tyone and then right. like some rookie starters, Nestor Cortez <laughs> and Luis Gill, um, mm-hmm. some just like random, no, no, Tyone isn't random, but some of right. pretty random or not high, you know, not high ceiling guys or, you know, not high name, big name guys yeah. getting contributions. The lineup is clicking again. Mm-hmm. The question now becomes because that lineup can go so hot and cold and, you know, the injuries can this momentum, how long can it go? Like, yeah. is it going to be like, Oh, they're great, great, great to the end of the season. And then it falls off in the playoffs. Yeah. Or will they have a drop off and then get hot again. It's, it's sort of the way their lineup is the inconsistency. It makes me never feel completely confident, um, yeah. but uh, you got to give them credit for what they've been doing right now. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a slight, it's a very small difference between, you know, you have Yankees at five, I have at six. Mm-hmm. It's just more a matter of, I think I'm coming around on them a little bit slower because of where yeah. I had them originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still see the white Sox as slightly more complete in yeah. terms of the pitching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, just not as, you know, as, as much as it's as good as it's been for the Yankees to see these contributions from these lesser known pitchers. I'm still much more confident in the number two, three, and four white Sox starters than I am in some uncertainty with the Yankees rotation. So I think that's why there's the slight difference, but it's, sure. it's really, uh, it's, it's very small differences. Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, as, uh, as you were finishing up your point, the White Sox finished off the Toronto Blue Jays for a win. So move them to uh, five and four since we talked last. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that would be enough to push them to five. I'm not going to say that, but uh <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think the thing that worries me about the White Sox, at least, is their offensive inconsistencies. You know, we, yeah. we talked about it earlier, um, you know, with Tim Anderson missing games and how the, the Sox offense uh, struggles when that happens. Um, they've had some bullpen kind of issues uh, lately, but, you know, it's happening, you know, in late August and not early October, which is always a good thing. So, I think they just have some kinks to work out. Um, Yasmani Grandal will be back uh, hopefully soon within the week, uh, I think. Um, And Carlos Rodan will be back uh, relatively soon as well. So uh, Sox getting uh, all the way healthy. They got their their two big guys back in Robert and Jimenez over the past, you know, six weeks or so, Uh, but now getting uh, fully, fully healthy, which is uh, good to see. And hopefully that means uh, they can, string together some wins here uh, going into September, but we'll go now to the bottom portion of the lineup or the, uh, the, uh, our power rankings. And we have the same four teams. Uh, we differ at nine and 10, but we'll cover, uh, we'll cover seven and eight real quick. Um, at seven, uh, we have the Houston Astros. Um, they have been struggling recently. They went three and five uh, over the past week. And, uh, you know, they lost games to Kansas City. They lost games to Seattle, who's chasing them in the AL West. I don't think they have 
you know, as much to worry about when it comes to the Mariners as, uh, as the A's do. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but, uh, just, just a tough week for the Astros. Um, I dropped them three spots, um, you know, kind of a combination of, of the, the Yankees jumping up and the Astros just not playing very well. Um, so, you know, we all know they're a very good baseball team and they're not going to be a fun team to face in October, but, uh, you know, hitting a little bit of a, a rough patch here. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you're right. And they've got, you know, they do have an easy schedule ahead if they mm-hmm. can capitalize the Royals this week, then the Rangers, then the Mariners, mm-hmm. then the struggling Padres then the Mariners. I mean, they've got, uh, you know, the Mariners are a respectable club, but they've got mm-hmm. an opportunity here. They don't have a ton of surging clubs. I mean, they've got again, Texas, again, uh, right. The Diamondbacks, I mean, their schedule for the next month is very easy. It's got to be one of the easiest in baseball. Yeah. Um, so they're still the team to beat in the AL West. The, the A's are still four games back. And I think it's very clear. We both have it this way that the Astros are clearly as much as it, you know, we'd be fun to root for the A's and maybe we want them to win more than the Astros. Right. Um, <laughs> just in terms of talent, the, the Astros are still a tier above and if we revisit this in a week or two and they're still struggling, then maybe we should have another further conversation. But I think it's just, it's still too premature to make any big changes about a slight change, but nothing too drastic in terms of our, of where we view the Astros. I think we're on the same page there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we both have the Braves at eight, which is a significant, uh, well, I shouldn't say a significant, it's a notable change because this yeah. was a team that a few weeks ago was not ranked. Yeah. Um, for by either of us, I think mm-hmm. maybe two weeks ago, probably we didn't yeah. either, neither of us had him ranked mm-hmm. last week. We both had him in our low in our top 10. You had him at 10. I had him at nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're, they're really surging. I mean, they're one of those teams that, uh, let's see, I, I don't know what the number is. Like they had won 12 of 13 or something. Yeah. They had a nine game win streak going into okay. their game with the, the Yankees yesterday, who also had a nine game win streak going. So, uh, it was the, uh, a, a really good game there. And the Yankees obviously ended up coming out with that one, but yeah, two, uh, they've been on an absolute tear over the past couple of weeks. Yeah. They, uh, you know, they're, they were, I think there might be one more loss than what I'm, what I'm about to say, but they're 17 and three since the trade deadline. So I think mm-hmm. it's 17 and four, uh, yeah. since the trade deadline, uh, they swept the, nationals marlins and orioles on the road which again not top competition but hey you still got to get it done and they've been getting it done Mm -hmm. um a team that made like we talked about strategic moves at the deadline too they didn't go get a star but Mm -hmm. they added some outfielders they added uh richard rodriguez right from the pirates yeah uh so just like good moves not like huge needle movers on their own but it was already a good team and a couple of those moves really really adding up for them uh they're not going to be a postseason favorite, but mm-hmm. their stock is certainly on the rise. Yeah, absolutely. And they actually have, uh, if I can find it here, they have a, uh, a 13 game road winning streak dating back to ah, July yes. 29th, which is the longest streak in franchise history. Again, the Braves, another team with uh, a rich history. Yes. Um, but yeah, they're, they're finding success on the road, even, uh, even though they lost, uh, to the Yankees today or yesterday. And I think they're down today as well. Um, 
but just getting hot at the right time. They've opened up a five game lead on the Phillies who are in second place and who are struggling uh, themselves and the Mets as well. They've lost eight of their last 10. They're now six and a half back. Um, So just capitalizing on, on teams below them struggling and getting hot at the right time. And, you know, finding, uh, finding a, uh, some fire in those bats and uh, putting together some uh, quality wins. Yeah. We, we thought that this NL East was just been so jumbled and we thought yeah. like at the end of the end of the year it was going to be the team. That's just like four games above 500 instead of three that makes mm-hmm. the playoffs all of a sudden the Braves, I'm not saying for sure this is going to happen, but the yeah. Braves could absolutely pull away and win that division by six, seven, eight plus games. Yeah. 100%. Um, but, uh, and, and now we'll look at the bottom two spots. We have the mm-hmm. same two teams just flip-flopped. So I have uh, the Reds who made a leap into uh, both of our top tens this week. Um, and as a result, the Boston Red Sox have been knocked out of my rankings. Uh, they were in last week and now they are out. Um, but we'll talk about them in a second. But the Reds have been uh, very hot recently. They, uh, the Reds have won seven of their last 10, including four in a row. They put themselves into the second NL wildcard spot, um, knocking out the Padres um, who have been struggling. And again, we'll talk about them uh, in a minute here, but the Reds just getting hot again, another case of a team getting hot at the right time. And, uh, you know, right now they are up four to one on the Brewers. Uh, That score still holds in the, uh, see the Padres, uh, just started against the Dodgers. There's no score in that game. So it's going to be a, a very tight race to watch. Uh, it's going to be a fun race to watch, but you know, they're just, they're a team that we have talked about kind of a lot on this show, mm-hmm. just in terms of, we felt like they were underperforming. There were guys on the team that were underperforming and we know that they can be a lot better. Um, and here they are now, you know, Luis Castillo has been very good um, really since kind of the beginning of July. He's turned his season around completely. Obviously, Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker still having amazing seasons, um, both guys dealing with injuries uh, recently, but they're both having great seasons. And Joey Votto now is the latest uh, red to just absolutely be tearing the cover off the baseball. So a combination of all those things, and they find themselves in a playoff spot you know, in the last week of August, uh, taking over a team where that everybody thought was going to be, you know, it was, it was a surefire playoff team in the Padres. Yeah. It's been really impressive. Uh, you know, I think you hit on all the big points. I was, I was thinking about Fado has been sensational. Uh, yeah. he's got a nine. I mean, it's, it's been even just within the past few months too. He, his OPS is up to nine fifty two. Like he's 37 years old. I mean, he'd been in decline here for a few years where yeah. it just hasn't been pretty. I mean, he had a thousand OPS in 2017, but since then it went, it, it, it basically dropped into like the low 800, 700 range. And then here it is back again at 950. That's yeah incredible. Uh, this is his highest OPS plus in a season since 2017. Yeah. Um, He's been sensational. Their bullpen's been a mess most of the year, but it seems like maybe some stability now because uh, Michael Lorenzen is healthy and he's been good lately. Um, yeah. A guy who had some potential, but he's been uh, good. If they can get some stability, any kind of stability in their bullpen, right. that would be a big, a big thing for them. Yeah. 
yeah, but yeah, otherwise, yeah, I, I think you hit on all the big things with them. Uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. The Padres aren't going to go quietly. The Reds can't afford to just sort of just take it easy the rest of the way. They need yeah. to keep up the pressure, but uh, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to see. And Castillo, a big part of that, like you said, uh, the A's, the final team for mm-hmm. both of us, you have them at 10. I have them at nine. Again, we're just yeah. talking minor differences. Uh, they've been, uh, they've been okay. Uh, let's see here. I had right. their schedule up and lost it. Uh, let's see. Yeah. They, although I take that back, they've been struggling lately, which is why <laughs> that's why I pro, that's why I've knocked them down. They had one, two in a row, but it, I didn't realize some of the, the recent losses earlier this week, they've already yeah. lost today and they lost yesterday. So that's four straight losses and they've actually yeah. dropped eight of 10. Mm-hmm. So that's why. The, that's part of why the Astros little sort of not doing great hasn't, hasn't affected the picture because the A's yeah. haven't been capitalizing. Right. Now they still have, you know, Starling Marte has been a great addition. They have the talent, the capability, mm-hmm. obviously being without Chris Bassett is a, a big loss. Of course, his health is the bigger concern, but right. uh, that's a big loss for them. Um, they just, they, this is a position where if they would have had a, a good run over the last week, plus they could be closing the gap on the Astros and we could be, talking about them, you know, neck and neck, but that's, that's not where they are. Uh, They're still a very talented team, borderline top 10 team, Mm -hmm. but they're another bad stretch away from being, I dropped them two spots. You dropped them a spot, Mm -hmm. another bad week. And they're probably on the outside looking in of our top 10, I'd imagine. Yeah. And uh, one of the, you know, I think I'll kind of meld into the first team because this was very tough for me, but Mm -hmm. um. I, I figured I can't really put the Mariners into the top 10 yet over the A's mostly because they're literally not better than the A's <laughs> in the standings. And I yeah. think just by pretty much all accounts, at least at this point uh, in the season, but they're definitely a close uh, 11th place um, first team out of my top 10. Um, and my thought with the A's, you know, after seeing their loss uh, to Seattle yesterday and then their uh, eventual loss today, I was like, if they can't beat the team that's chasing them in the wild card, they're going to have some issues. Um, you know, it's uh, Seattle just one game uh, behind the A's um, in the American League wild card race. Um, and that may, no, I think that's updated as of uh, for their games today. But, you know, the Mariners have been very solid uh, over their last week, five and two. Um, and, you know, they've won seven of their last 10, including three in a row, um, included in those two games against the A's uh, yesterday and today, part of that winning streak. And, uh, you know, definitely a team on paper, again, that you don't think of as being, you know, super, you know, playoff contender or anything like that. But they're right there and they're going to they're going to make it difficult on the A's. And uh, if the Astros aren't careful, they'll they'll be right there to pounce uh, on Houston as well. But uh, definitely keep an eye on the Mariners over the next week or so, because they they can make some noise and they can shake some things up in the uh, in the AL West. Yeah, absolutely. This is a team not getting enough attention right now. And Mm -hmm. I understand why it's hard to give too much attention to a team that's in third place Mm -hmm. in a division that's most likely going to be won by one of the other two teams. But seven and three in their last 10, uh, the Astros and A's both have losing records in their last 10 games. Yeah, Mariners are surging. They've got young talent. 
I don't think that they're ready to, you know, compete in the playoffs. Like they're going to be, you know, win playoff series and make a yeah. run yet, but I, they're capable of getting there. And right now you, you got to respect what they're doing. Um, they, they have, they've been in a sneaky spot for this last couple of weeks or so, maybe even month plus, mm-hmm. and they're continuing to win uh, the A's best be getting it figured out right away because they yeah. don't have they don't it's a one game difference between those two teams yeah you want a um, quick sidebar here you want to guess mm-hmm. if you haven't looked already who the um leader in baseball reference war is for the mariners this year is it a hitter or a pitcher it's a hitter is it Ty France? It is. It's Ty France. I'm impressed with that random, one. Random, I think I have him on a fantasy team, to be yeah. honest. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> random infielder dude who yeah. just uh, gets it done, huh? Yeah. 34th round pick of the Padres in 2015 wow. out of San wow. Diego State. But batting 292 with 16 homers on base percentage north of 360 and OPS uh, around 820. Uh, he's just been really solid and he had a really good year last year, pretty quietly, I think, um, between the, uh, the Padres and the, uh, and the, um, Mariners, he batted, uh, 305, uh, last year as well. He, the, the power numbers weren't, uh, what they were this year, uh, with only four home runs, but he was, you know, getting on base at the, roughly the same rate, similar OPS, uh, just a guy that's putting together a, a very nice career early on. So, uh, yeah, good fun fact. I'm impressed that you pulled out Ty <laughs> France. And, well, thank uh, you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but we'll move on uh, to the last couple of teams in our uh, in our uh, just outside the top ten uh, area of our power rankings. Uh, we have the same the same teams. Mm-hmm. Um, the Padres, obviously, we talked about. They've won or they lost five of their last six games. Yeah, they can't afford to do that they've got cincinnati obviously cincinnati breathing down their necks um and really in obviously in front of them at this point but padres lost two uh eight of their last 10 games they have tatis back mm-hmm. and when he came back it seemed like you know that it was he was going to give them the boost they needed to kind of not slip but they got swept by the rockies in colorado uh, they lost two out of three to the Phillies, who aren't very good. And now they get the Dodgers for three. And then they get to go play the Angels in uh, L.A. for two. And neither one of those teams is going to be easy to beat, especially not the Dodgers. And if they lose, if you know they get swept in, in this series uh, by the Dodgers, I th- which I think is very possible, I don't know if there's you know enough time for them to make up the the ground that the the uh or the lead that the uh, reds are gonna probably open up on them yeah it's a it's a really rough spot for the padres right now i yeah. mean their pitching <laughs> is just not enough it's they've they you know for a team that they made so much of a splash with pitching mm-hmm. they didn't do enough at the deadline to reinforce it of course we knew they wanted to get scherzer and that just didn't work out but right they they just, frankly, I mean, I know that they put a lot of money into their pitching. I'm not like going off and criticizing them tremendously, Yeah. but they didn't put enough into their pitching to, and all of a sudden they're paying the price. They only have three or four starters they can count on. And uh, it's not a pretty sight right now. And like you said, the yeah. schedule is not on their side. Um, yeah. So this is going to be something really interesting to watch over the next week or so, what that wild card race looks like in the NL, what the reds do, because 
a good team, but also not a, a team that I have the most confidence in the world in. So there's an opportunity, but the, like you said, the Padres can't afford to slip much further. Yeah. Um, you know, we mentioned them. we mentioned the Mariners already. And we both had the Blue Jays and Red Sox. Those are other two teams, both out of the AL East. Yeah. All of a sudden, um, it looks like the Rays and the Rays and uh, the Rays and the Yankees are the two teams to beat in that division. The the Blue Jays' second best run differential in the division, yet they yeah. are in a bad spot. I mean, they're six yeah. games above five hundred, but they're they're not winning that division, and yeah. they're five back in the wild card. That's that's they've they've lost. Uh, seven of their last 10 it's it's not pretty right now springer's out he's hurt mm-hmm. it's too bad i'd love to see that some of these guys in the playoffs i'd love to see vladimir guerrero jr Bo Bichette, these guys in the playoff series but it doesn't yeah. look promising right now and the red the red Sox haven't been bad they just have been mediocre while other teams are capitalizing mm-hmm. um they're five and five in their last 10 they got swept by the yankees Mm-hmm. You know, they've largely taken care of business against bad teams like the Orioles, but yeah, but they lost, they got swept the last time they played the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Uh, they played the Rays in two series recently. They lost those six of those games. Like yeah. you can't, you can't do that against the teams in your division who you're competing for at the top spot with. Yeah. So um, they're a good team, but uh, it, it looks like we're starting to see some separation in that division right now. And the Red Sox and Jays on the outside looking in. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I guess I didn't realize this making my rankings and I don't know if this would make any difference, uh-huh. but, uh, the A's are actually outside of the wild card right now. They're a game and a half behind the Red Sox. Um, part of that, I, I think I is, not, I did not realize that either. Honestly, yeah. I assumed they were in that second spot. No, they're a game and a half out. And I think, uh, part of that is obviously they've lost eight of their last 10 games mm-hmm. and, uh, I guess it, you know, we've just gotten so used to, Oh yeah, the A's are in the, the second wild card spot in the American League, and uh, right. whoever's in the first, it's the Yankees or the Red Sox, and you know we move on. Nope, it's two teams out of the AL East, and uh, yeah, a surging Yankees team who's uh, about to win eleven in a row, and a Red Sox team that is decent in their last ten games. Yeah, um, but Oakland definitely has to pick it up if they want that wild card spot. Uh, that and you know they got seattle right behind them yeah yeah absolutely and yeah i did not realize that honestly i'm starting to feel like maybe i should have flipped i i don't i don't yeah. know we'll see I, this is going to be an interesting race because you know toronto doesn't seem like it's likely but that oakland and seattle are both within two and a half games uh yeah. the wild card spots yeah that is uh that is our top 10 and our our power rankings for the week uh, next week we'll come back with another uh, another new set and maybe there will be some uh, crazy shifts. We'll see. But uh, the good teams keep winning. That's what they do. So um, that is all the time that we have on this week's episode of the Warning Trek Power podcast. We're going to look ahead here to some uh, interesting uh, series over the next uh, week or so. Um, obviously, we have the White Sox and Blue Jays. That's an intriguing one. Um, Reds Brewers also um, going to be entertaining as well. We have, you know, your Cardinals, Chris, taking on the Tigers. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what, what do you have your eye on uh, as we head toward the weekend? Because that's where the, a lot of the, uh, you know, more exciting matchups tend to happen. 
Yeah, you know, I feel like we've been saying this like good amount lately, but I'm actually not seeing a lot of ex- thrilling weekend action. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I say that of, of the weekend games, um, Giants Braves is intriguing because I want to mm. see which team can keep this up. I mean, they're both on these yeah. great runs. Uh, can the Braves keep this up? Other than that, um, yeah, it's it's always a good team against a bad team here. Not a lot of yeah. truly. Uh, okay, I'll say Yankees A's because yeah. we just outlined. Can the Yankees keep this up? Yeah. Uh, nobody's really worried. If they lose a couple games, nobody's going to yeah. you know, swap back and say, but I think for the A's, this is a crucial stretch and not an easy stretch against a team that's that's surging like the Yankees. So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, absolutely. Going to be a, a fun series to, to watch, uh, East Coast versus West Coast. Um, and then the only other thing I have my eye on is Cubs-White Sox. Obviously, that's always uh, – the uh, a highlight when that uh, when that series happens uh, it'll be the second half of the crosstown classic at guaranteed rate field friday saturday and sunday so we'll uh, we'll hope for a white Sox win i believe they have uh, the crosstown cup and it'll stay this uh on the south side uh because at the worst they can they'll tie uh but i have a feeling they're not going to get swept by the cubs um yeah but that's all the time we have. Um, Chris, any final thoughts before we wrap up? I'd say we're very much about, to, I mean, we're, this is, uh, we're entering late August. Mm-hmm. We're entering the final. This is like, we've got just over four weeks left in the season. Yeah. This is crunch time. Here we go. Like, this is going to be fun. We've got some yeah. fun division races, some things that are, the picture is changing a good bit. And uh, every week from here on out is going to, we're going to get more, finely tuned in what races we need to watch closely, what teams need to do something right now. Well, it won't be like, Oh, X team needs to get this turned around pretty soon. Yeah. Quickly. We're going to get to the point of X team needs to get this turned around now. Right. It's too late because yeah. too late is coming up pretty soon. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. That's, uh, that's uh, just the, the spot that we're in now, five weeks left and mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be very exciting. Heading into September, and the next time we talk, it'll will be August thirtieth or thirty first. So that'll be our last kind of uh, the last show before the stretch run. Mm-hmm. So for uh, for Chris, I'm Jake. Thanks for sticking with us on another episode of the Warning Track Power Podcast, and we will talk to you guys all again next week. <laughs>